Welcome to episode 87 of Woods and the Word Getting Coffee. I'm Randall Wood. And I'm Isaac Wood. We're a father-son duo walking together through the Bible in hopes of bringing God's Word to life in your life. Pour a cup of coffee and join us. Isaac, welcome to February. I've got my Braves cup out uh, because February only Spring means training. we're playing base. Somebody's playing baseball somewhere. So life it's, is good. Every year, it's so wild to me living in northern states. There's snow on the ground and somebody somewhere is playing pitch and catch outside getting ready for a baseball season. But it's happy to be here. I mean, spring is coming. Yeah. Um, I am on the road, which means gas station coffee for me this morning. Mm, uh, wow. But we are fueled up and ready to go in the word. And exactly. And somebody's watching because we're going to talk about the God who sees today. He's looking out over us today and uh, he sees everything. Uh, and in today's uh, story from Genesis chapter 16, he sees a mess being made but he's going to redeem it all for his purposes. So let me read Genesis 16. We'll get to meet the God who sees in a very unusual way. And uh, then we'll talk about uh, what we learn about the God who sees. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, the next verse is verse four, but there should be a verse three and a half here that says, what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> verse four will tell us. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. I've got a baby. You don't have one, <laughs> is what that means in the original Hebrew. Um, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The word Ishmael means God listens. That's a whole other sermon we can go to there. <laughs> he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, El Roy, the God who sees. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharoi, it lies between Kadesh and Berid. 
And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. He is the God who sees. And the first thing we learn in this passage of scripture is that the God who sees doesn't need our help. <laughs> but man, we try to help so often, don't we? Let me help. I think we figured a shortcut out here. Yeah. When, um, you know, there's that saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yes. Um, and if you want to make people in the future laugh, have somebody write down your dumb, idiotic plans and record them in scripture <laughs> side by side with God's plans. Because um, wow. it's as you read through this chapter to look at Abraham and Sarah, who are both called out, by the way, yes. as heroes of faith. Yes, and they, make it, and they make a comeback from here. That's true. Well, I mean, yes, but God plays through this. God yeah. plays through this mistake. But to sit there and just to read their plan, and as you mentioned, like what could go wrong here? But, you know, that's not – that ability to be idiotic is not limited to, <laughs> to biblical characters. Two people um, in Genesis, that's certainly true. We we all have this ability and we come up with when we come up with plans on our own, um this is how they are when compared to to God's plan for our life. God had already promised to Abraham, I got this. Multiple you're gonna have a son. Right. Uh and, and that promise uh was for Sarah too. And um yes. they got impatient. They it's got impatient. It's been I was, years. Um, God has forgotten his promise. I was reading uh, earlier this week in Psalm, Psalm 40, which I love. I love the Psalms because just David telling us how God has rescued him so many times. But right. I was struck by, I love chapter 40 because I feel like it's the, um, it's it's a good anatomy of a testimony um, mm -hmm. in how um, David tells us the story. But it starts off with, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And then he talks about how he was in a, a pit of destruction and a miry bog and feeling feeling frustrated and lost and confused and just stuck. And that's what Abraham and Sarah felt right now. They, it's true. They knew, yeah. they knew this promise, but they felt stuck. They couldn't see a way out. It just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. It's like, how do you like how, how do you have a kid when you're infertile? Like that's right. understandably hard to understand. We're gonna need um, a helper. But the, but that verse in, in Psalm 40 of I waited patiently for the right. Lord. They skipped that. They skipped that part. Yeah, absolutely. They skipped that part. And let's skip yeah. to the end and let's figure this out. Right. Um, and it. yeah, and the the I mean, the first half of this chapter, you could teach a pretty good marriage conference on uh, <laughs> using this as failing after failing after failing, right? Yeah. And then how um, to their ultimate um, sin there was lack of trusting God. Um, right. They trusted themselves. They were leaning on their own understanding of how making a child worked <laughs> um, right. and not yes. trusting, not acknowledging the promise of God in this scenario that, that God has promised to all of us to, to, um, uh, to produce things through us, um, not just, physical human babies um but he's he's promised to produce things through us and to your point here 
it's him that does it through us that we don't we don't need to make those things happen ourselves. Right, right. And so the good news is, even though he saw them making the mess, he allowed them to do it. And then he immediately begins cleaning up the mess because <clears throat> the God who sees doesn't need our help. What he needs is our submission to his plan and his purpose. And so I love how he reaches out to Hagar here, who in many ways was the victim of this uh, shortcut plan. She had no say in this. She is. The, I would say it almost always. <laughs> yeah. 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 She had no say in this, but she did have an attitude about it. Once she did have the baby, she, she flaunted that in front of Sarah, which was a problem, but nevertheless, she had no say in how this played out, but God comes to her. He found her. She had to flee, but God went after her. God found her he calls her by name. That's very significant, Hagar. Um, and then he gives her this assignment. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Uh, she has to submit to God first in order to do that. Uh, but, but her rightful role at that season is as a slave, right or wrong. And so she's to go back. And you know what? They he makes her this special promise, the specific promise to her and to her son, Ishmael, based on her obedience that she will actually go back and do that. So it's conditional on her obedience, but he makes her this great promise that she's going to bless her son too. It'll be different than, but in nevertheless, she will, he will take care of her. Um, and that's God's promise to all of us that he will take care of us. But I, just, right. I love that God found Hagar. Yeah. Um, he, he sees not only, you know, what's going to happen, but he sees what has happened and he sees what is happening. Right. Um, and we know whatever you're going through, when you're going through challenges that at this stage of the game, Hagar had done nothing wrong. She had been abused and taken advantage of and, 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 um, and vilified and just treated horribly. Passed out. By, now what's going to happen? Abraham and Sarah um, to the point where she had to run away and she had nowhere to go. And she's sitting alone on a bush, right? In right. the middle of a desert. Um, and God found her because God saw that. He saw all of that. Um, and you talk about cleaning up messes. Um, I'm reminded of in Romans 8 where it says that mm. God works all things together for good. Wow. All things, good and bad. Um, and Let's be honest, when we live on this planet, most of what happens is bad. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of bad going on around us, to us, from us, through us. There's a lot of bad that's happening. God promises to work all of that together for good, but that's not the end of that verse in Romans. It says, no. for those who are called according to his purpose, um, and for those who love God. Yeah. And what does it mean to love God? Jesus says, you love me when you obey me. And so the, the contingency on God works all things together for good for those who love him, for those who obey him. And so God says, Hey, I've got this. I'm going to make it better. Here's what you do. Now, if Hagar decided not to go back to Sarah and Abraham, then things continue to go bad for her. Right. right. And, and, and so God says, Hey, whatever mistakes you've made in your life or whatever mistakes have been made to you in your life, I will work them together for good in your life. I promise to do that. 
right. trust and obey me. Right. Tr- that's, yeah, both of those, trust and obey me. They that, that is how I work things all together for good. Like, it's not, I'm just going to wave a magic wand. It's like, no, come follow me, obey me in all of this mess, all of this mess. If it's happened to you, you're going to see victory in this. You're going to see me overcome it. You're going to be able to tell this story to others in need. If it's because of mistakes you have made, same story. You're going to see victory in this, and you're going to be able to use this story to help others that are facing the same challenges if you will obey me. God doesn't just wave magic wands and make everything okay. He says, follow me, be with me. That is what makes things all better. The presence of God, the being with God, it's less the circumstances, it's the presence of the Almighty God that Hagar has to obey in order for these blessings to come. Right, but but the first thing she discovers about God is that God is watching over me. He sees this mess and he's come to me. He's called me by name so he knows who I am. <clears throat> he's making promises to my sons so I've got nothing at this point. Why wouldn't I trust and obey and follow this guy? Well, and he sees the mess and he cares about her. Yes. He cares. Yes. I think so many of us today, we get a message and we like we can get in our head that God sees it. Then we get frustrated. We're like, well, you see this, fix it. Yeah. And he's Why like, I let it happen in the first I am. I am. And that's where the trusting comes in. That the, the Rusting, the, the, the God of the Bible sees it and he cares. And his desire is that you would be with him. Um, and that's his desire because guess what? That's the best thing for you. He desires best thing for you. And so it's not just that he sees it, but that he cares about what he sees. And it's, we got to trust that. We got to trust that because when it happens in a way that we don't understand, we tend to apply our knowledge and our understanding to it and say, well, if I saw this, I would do that. And so he's not doing that, so he doesn't care. Right, which is totally false. We've got to Correct. see it from his perspective. So immediately, the God who sees starts redeeming the messes here, okay? Uh, he saw what happened, He, but he's requiring their submission. Now, so he, he starts to clean up uh, the mess in Sarah's, uh, in Hagar's life. He saw her, uh, he saw the mess, and he comes to her. But now Abram and Sarah, who actively and impatiently messed up their lives and Hagar's with their shortcut, God saw that too. And what it tells him, which he already knew, but they've proven it, they're not ready to be the parents of the promised child. They're not ready for Isaac, okay? Uh, They're going to need 13 more years of developing this trust and obey relationship with God before before Isaac arrives. They think 10 years has been a long time. They just bought themselves 13 more. Um, but they're going to get to know God in a new way. Uh, and when he comes to them next, he's going to come as God Almighty. And we'll talk about that next week. And he will demonstrate to them the power that he has to <clears throat> create a child anywhere he wants to create a child. <clears throat> and so... what? And it's so great in, the, in their story, again... They're failing uh, aggressively in this chapter. <laughs> yes, they are. Right? Um, but to see later in this in this story, you know, once Isaac has been given to them, the growth 
in Abraham specifically yes. that then God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. So we go through all this effort. They learn all these lessons. And finally, Isaac shows up and the guy's like, hey, why don't you go sacrifice him? Right. But that Abraham had learned to trust and obey God so at that much. point. So yeah. he did. Yes. Got up early the next morning to do it. And we learned in Hebrews that Abraham said, Abraham didn't understand why God was doing that, but he trusted God so much that even if he had to kill Isaac, he trusted that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And now this is back in Genesis before raising people from the dead is mentioned as existed. So he he believed that God would do something that was not physically possible because he trusted God. He's already done it once. The fact that he God promised me. proof of that. God promised me this, and that promise <laughs> I trust so much that I will obey what he tells me. And there's an intimacy with God there that that I think Abraham and Sarah haven't learned quite yet, or it's not as not deep yet. as it will be. be developed. Yeah. It's this intimacy that when you hear from God, that you know, first of all know that it's God, that you know that it's God talking to you. Um, that you can identify God's voice because you hear it so often, because you spend so much time with him, that you know his voice, but then that you spend so much time with God that you trust him um, and that, that you trust him enough to obey him. Um, and that's faith. That's faith is trusting and obeying God. And, and in order for us to know God well enough to trust him, in order us for us to know God well enough that we recognize his voice to even obey it. You can't obey what you didn't hear. Right. Right. And, and so we've got to spend time with God. We have to spend time with God, read your Bible, talk to him, listen to him, worship him, talk about him, think about him, consider him in all of your ways, acknowledge that there is a God Yes, he speaks to you when you do that. When you are with God, he speaks to you, and then you recognize that. But if you're not spending time with God, you don't trust him, and you're not obeying. Right, but he sees. He still sees your messes. He does, and he's right there on the other side of obedience. He's right there, seeing everything, and he's coming to you. It's like you're if you're in that bush, he's coming to you. Right, saying here, call you by name. He'll have a personal encounter with you. You'll know it's him. He will give you an assignment. He'll make you a promise, but that promise requires your obedience. It's probably far beyond anything you could imagine. Do it. Yep. It won't make sense. No, but do it anyway. Because here's the deal. Here's what God's looking for. The God who sees. There's a wonderful scripture tucked away in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. So you not only have to read 1 Chronicles, You've got to read 2 Chronicles, and you've got to get 16 chapters into it, and then you'll find this nugget that says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, looking over the whole earth, looking for someone whose heart is completely his, somebody who's ready to trust and obey. That's what the God who sees is looking for, and when he finds that, man, can he go to work, and he can accomplish great and mighty things. So friend, you might be sitting in a mess right now. You might be wondering, does God know? Does God care? The answer is yes, he knows. He's seen it and he's already started to work to clean up the mess. He's going to come to you. He's going to whisper your name. What you do next is going to be very important as he seeks to clean it up, redeem it, 
and make it new for his glorious purposes and for your ultimate good. So the God is looking. Trust him and obey him because he sees not only what's happened to you, but he sees what's happening all over the world and he's working it all together for good for those who trust and obey him. Go do it. Amen.